0: It is time for our Monday's Experts chat on a Monday, as always, around 11 o'clock, Mark. And all these chats previously were up on our social medias uh, and also our podcasting services here at Sky Sports Radio. Some wonderful stories. And again, it's another opportunity for us to, in limited time, find out a little bit more about the story behind the name. Bernadette Cooper is our guest today and of course Bernie you can often see all the time on Sky Thoroughbred Central working up there in Queensland. And there's been an integral part of our coverage as well uh, from also being on the pony after the race with those great emotional scenes when we see the championships here in Sydney and I thought why not get Bernie on to have a chat. And She joins us now on the phone. G'day Bernie. Oh
1: good morning Dave. But yes uh, thanks for having me on and nice to be joining you.
0: Yeah it's, it's, a, it's a story that some of our audience would know of, but there'll be other parts of our audience uh, that, that won't know of your history. And I want to talk about um, where you grew up and where it all started. So you're born and bred in Queensland?
1: I am. I am. I was born in Brisbane, And um, my parents were Victorian. And my mum, my mum used to ride adventures. And my dad was sort of like the passionate racing guy, really. And... Um his brother, um, John, was a jumps jockey in Victoria. And I think my dad was, you know, a frustrated wannabe, if you want to put it that way. He would have loved to have been a jockey, um, but he couldn't. So they were both horsey people. My grandma was a life member of the Melbourne Hunt Club and all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, my mum and my dad moved to Queensland, and that's where my brother and I were born.
0: When uh, So there's obviously a connection there with family to the horse. Yeah. At what point did you decide internally, right, I, I, I want to be a jockey and be involved with horse racing?
1: Yeah, well, um, from a really early age, I, I remember just being in love with horses, naturally. A lot of young girls are, so that's pretty normal. Um, and then I just sort of bugged and bugged and bugged for a pony. And when I was eight, uh, my dad went off to some horse sales and came home with this little pony called Kitten. <clears throat> and we probably only had So then he started to teach me to learn to ride on Kitten, who was just a horrid pony, but I loved her anyway. But she was really naughty and bold and been around. And just, she was pretty horrible when I looked back on it, but I thought she was fabulous. <laughs> and about six months later, he arrived back with um a thoroughbred and yes. the thoroughbred's name it was so funny because i think he was three at the time in a colt, and i just remember this magnificent animal getting off this horse truck and um said oh this is a racehorse what's a racehorse oh you know we train we're going to train him and um, his name's Hogan's Hope, which we thought was hilarious because dad used to religiously make us watch Hogan's Hope every week. Um, so we we're all very familiar with the Hogan's characters and this horse was called Hogan's Hope. And um, he said, yeah, and, and and jockeys ride them and I can just, it was like a light bulb moment. I was like, wow, you can actually ride um, a racehorse for a living. And so I, I'm quite sure that it was at that point that I thought this is uh, this is going to be the plan for me. So it's probably nine by then, perhaps even going on ten, no, eight, nine, no, probably about nine. But I thought, but that's it, that's I'm going to, I'm going to be a jockey. And naturally he was fairly supportive of that. My mother was horrified. She was a teacher and um, thought that I'd just grow out of it, which is a, Normal thing to assume, I suppose. So, um, but for me, when I think back on that, and I, I think um that that was that was where my dream began. So I spent the next five years, literally, and I mean literally, dreaming about being an amazing <laughs> jockey. Obviously, I didn't rise to the heights that I may have in those dreams, but you know, it was a great way to go to sleep at night, and it was a great dream and a great passion to have. The next five years until I started my apprenticeship.
0: But I know that you won that apprenticeship in 1993. You were also the first female in Queensland to win that champion apprentice ever. Mm-hmm. Um, in the, it, it sort of prompted my mind. I mean, we we talk about Pam O'Neill, and obviously, uh, you know, the the girls are killing it at the moment, and I think they're going to continue to. To get better and better and better if they're not already the best. Um, at that time, when you were in your apprenticeship, and then obviously moving on to be a senior rider, was it still difficult back then to to persuade people to to throw a young girl on the horse, so to speak?
1: Well, it probably was, but it yeah, it probably was, but I was blissfully quite ignorant to it for some time, actually, and because of the household I grew up in. Um, which is quite funny, so my dad was a liberal, and my mother was a labor, and my mother was all into um at that time of my life, she went back to university to study, and she was you know right into um indigenous affairs and women's rights and you know and and you know she went through the whole stage where she burnt the bra and wars to wrong and women <laughs> can do anything <laughs> Much to my dad's horror, it probably was why. Yeah, uh, their marriage ended. <laughs> but I sort of grew up in a household where it was expected that women could do anything. So mm. you know, the fact that I went into a completely male-dominated industry was sort of by kind the of wayside for me. I thought like, I don't care; anyone can ride a horse, or sort a of thing. And and obviously I had a lot of support at home. You mentioned Pam O'Neill. One Hogan's Hope was a gimpy star. So he won about 10 races at Gympie. So he battled on the turf. But one day when I was about 11, my dad took Hoag's to the Gold Coast and I just happened to be on holidays and went with him. And Pam O'Neill and Hoag's won, which we were all like shocked and surprised and uh, happy about, obviously. But Pam O'Neill ran second in that race. And I still have that photo, actually. And that was like a real monumentous moment for me to see that a a woman doing that. Now, I had no idea then who Pam O'Neill was and actually being the first woman or anything along those lines. But it was one of those all and all sort of capturing moments where I thought, yes, I'm going to be like her. Um, So then I paid obviously more attention. and, And then by the time I started, I knew all about Pam. But as far as when I started, there were a lot of female jockeys that had been really... Uh, successful at the Sunshine Coast, which is where I was apprenticed. So we'd had, um, obviously Pam writing lots of winners there, but we'd also had Lisa Francis. She'd won numerous premierships. We'd had the overall girls, um, even Marlene Grady. Like there were a lot, it was a, it was a sweet haven for women apprentices. So because that was all in my face, it, it really didn't occur to me that, um, gender was, an issue. Obviously, later on down the track, it did, and it was very much in your face when you went to the big the big smoke and, and even the biggest smoke in Sydney, perhaps. But at that time, in the beginning, um, no. But when I okay. came out of my time, yes, there was a definite... There was no bias if you had kilos to claim. Even if you got down to one and a half kilo, there was still not a problem. But when you were on equal weight with the men... There was a problem, and the the rides dried up, and the quality of rides definitely dried up.
0: Mm. How did you combat that? Uh, apart from obviously trying to ride winners and, and prove, mm. was it was it a real mental battle for you?
1: Oh, totally. It was soul destroying to go from the penthouse to the shit house quite literally overnight. It was, um, yeah, it was really really awful, and you know all the moments. Do I continue? Uh, if I do, what do I do? Um, you know, that's, that's, it is all you know. So, they, yeah, there are many moments. And I think the success to succeeding in anything is just hanging in there and it's just time and it's just building new contacts. And, and at that stage when I was really down and out, Paul Sutherland had come to train at the Sunshine Coast. So I started pretty much as I finished my apprenticeship and probably had 12 months of complete lull and, you know, battled to get a ride at Gympie, um, I started to ride for Paul and worked my way up the ladder within Paul's stable. And I've no doubt that my success thereafter was all due to my connection with Paul Southern. Even even so far as when he went back to Sydney and... I was still here in Queensland, and I'd fallen off the wagon again and couldn't get a ride. And he Mm. said, why don't you come to Sydney? And I was like, are you crazy? I can't get a ride here. I'm really a ride in Sydney. (laughs) Anyway, I went to Sydney, and um, I had two stints, actually. I went for three months and thought, oh, this is not for me, and came home and thought, I think I was about 26 then, and I thought, gosh, Brisbane feels really slow. (laughs) (laughs) So I turned around and went back, and it just
0: took off then. And I had a great few years in Sydney after that. Mm. It did. I mean, um, before we had, uh, you know, obviously Rachel King and, and her, uh, the way she's been riding uh, this season, I think you were the only woman uh, to ride a treble on a Saturday meeting at uh, Rose Hill. Yeah. Um, you were very unlucky in that group one behind Sunline. Uh, And obviously, you know, some of your big races as well, uh, winning some country cups and the Moe and Shandon Stakes. I mean, at what point did you...
1: Because you rode overseas at some point, didn't you? Yeah, that was after. I was sort of nearing the end, probably, when I went overseas. But, yeah, I was lucky when I got a role on the provincial, the country areas and the provincials. And I had support from, you know, some nice trainers like Graham Rogerson. I had Paul Sutherland. I had... um, Gary Portelli was marvellous actually. We had loads of success together and um, that sort of all rolled together and and I had a great two years but no, I probably rode there for four, but two of them were, were really good and it was really satisfying because I'd probably been riding ten years by that stage. And we all we always looked at Sydney as the big smoke and, you know, the biggest the hottest racing, the best racing, sort of in the country. So it was just a thrill to compete with um, the boys and good girls. Not many girls, but the odd girl um, there. But usually I was in the room on my own. Um, Max Lees was another good one. There were he- heaps of um, heaps of support once I got rolling. Yeah, I mean there had been some good girls in Sydney, and particularly a couple, you know, a few Kiwis. But there weren't many, and there weren't really any many around whilst I was there. So I take great satisfaction in watching uh, your Rachel Kings and your Jamie Cars and and many before them, of course, as well. But it is just superb to think that they're they're winning premierships, they're winning Group 1 on a regular basis now, which is, I don't think I ever rode anything in a Group 1 that was given any chance. Um, But nonetheless, it's still nice to have a ride in them, obviously.
0: Exactly. And just to further on, obviously, you know, uh, you're watching uh, now the young females come through there in Queensland, and and we also see, you know, the the, the feats of Jamie and Rachel. Uh, Do you think that um, for the future, and I'm talking about for our future jockeys, there's always, I have a conversation with a lot of trainers and I've even had Ronnie Quinton on the program and we have spoke about, that. you know, obviously Ron's a bit concerned about where the next champion's coming from because out in the bush, they're not so much riding horses anymore. They're on the quad bikes or they're just not even getting outside. Do you think that we need to do more as an industry to let people know, especially young people, that there's an opportunity for them here to to make a good quid and have a successful career?
1: Um, Quite possibly. I mean, there's not much hunting of apprentices. They I had Michael Pally on Playbook recently and he he was very interesting to listen to and he, he made those comments that you've just made about the quad bikes and all that sort of thing. He said most of the apprentices that come through the schools now obviously pony clubbers and pony clubbers are ninety percent, if not more, uh girls. And that's probably why you're seeing I know here in Queensland the number of beginning apprentices in you know, is much higher uh, gender-wise on the female side than it is the male side. So, yeah, I think, yeah, maybe maybe that is something racing could look into. I mean, it's difficult because a lot of parents are pretty wary of their kids becoming jockeys because it's such a dangerous um, sport. So it's hard to sort of go in and, and and pledge that in schools. But it also has, you know, many wonderful qualities. And you're right, they can definitely make a lot of money Particularly as apprentices, but as far as next stars, I, I think you're going to find a lot of women are going to be the stars, and um, I don't think you're going to hear too many girls winking about that.
0: No, and I, I don't think. Um, I think. Look, obviously, you're going to have some old school mentality with some people, but I think this the the new thought is. I mean, um, I there was a, a silly question we threw out on Punters Postmortem this morning about you know who would who would you uh, if if Racing was at the Olympics, yes. and it's not going to be. But if it was, who would be your three jockeys to, to represent the country? And I'd say ninety five percent of people are putting Jamie Carr yes. in that top three. Now, maybe five, six, seven years ago, that wouldn't well that would not have been been the case. But no, I think, um, I think
1: the turn the turn and and the t- the, t- the turning wheels of racing are very slow, and. The turn has really come in the last, you're right, in the last five years. I mean, it was a constant battle for 30 years prior to that, probably for, for women. But the wheel has turned, and I think it's due to a lot of these younger trainers coming through, mm-hmm. like your James Cummings, for instance, you know, Good Dolphin, Good Dolphin using um, Rachel King, and, you know, your Kira Mars, and David Youssef, you know, it, you know, using women. It's these younger trainers that are mm. the new generation, really, of trainers. So, the old, the most old school thoughts are all but out the door now, and it's not a bad thing.
0: Speaking of uh, females, you've been lucky enough to be on the pony uh, after some extraordinary performances from our female horses. Um, not only, uh, you know, we had that, he had that period we had some, you know, pretty smart colts and some wonderful sprinters, etc running around. But to be at, say, a Royal Ramwick or at a, um, Doomben, uh, when, say, Black Caviar got the chocolates that day and was unbelievable. And then also to experience winks. I mean, you've had the best seat in the house and to chat with your, your Luke Nolans and your Huey Bowmans after those moments, Bernie, you've brought that into our lounge rooms.
1: It really was marvellous. So I, I I just can't believe um, the luck that I've had, um, given the opportunity to have a second career in racing, because generally when you, you know, finish riding, um, it's like, what the, what the hell am I going to do now? And there was more probably good luck and good management involved in the way that came about, which I'm really, really grateful for. But, yeah, to then have the next 10 years Riding the pony was just so much fun. I mean, as an ex-jockey, um, that's, it, that's, the, that's the cheapest thrill you can get is, is getting up close to those great jockeys on those marvellous champion, And I mean champion horses, getting up close and personal and just sharing their joy, um, the thrill of the event, um, the impact you know, that it's got on, on everybody at the races on those occasions because they really were crowd-bonding experiences too. We're not talking about when you turn up to a Group 1 and there's you know, four nice chances and your crowd is split between who they're cheering for. They are uniting experiences. And I can remember the Black Caviar, the, the BTC Cup that Black Caviar won here. I've never seen that in 30 years of racing here in Queensland where we had 20 or 22,000 people packed into doom I mean, Doom was only a little racetrack. Mm. Um, and they were all there to see black caviar, and to look from the back straight across to the grandstands and all around, all these people there just cheering for one mare. And the same with Winks uh, throughout her career in in Sydney. So not that I was in the, um, well, I was there to watch one of her cox plates wins, but obviously it didn't work. Um, but just to see that U- united front, thousands yeah. of racing fans, it does send shivers. Down your spine for sure. It's
0: really, really moving, actually. And I mean, you're there. You're on the you're on the deck with them. Um, you're that first point of contact uh, to these riders. And I mean, you've obviously, uh, you know, you, you've said yourself, you're getting that shiver down your spine and that emotion. Yeah. I mean, and it must be hard because you sort of. You go back and you listen to interviews, and I do it all the time. I'll go back and listen to this and think, why did I say that? You know, like, (laughs) do do you you ever, do you ever have those moments? I mean, you've got that one opportunity. You hear Greg say, let's go to, to Bernie, you know, she's with uh, Huey, and then you kind of don't want to be cliche and go, oh, how, how is that, Huey? You've, you've got (laughs) to, you've got to know what you're going to (laughs) say.
1: Yeah, you do, but I'm just, I get, I think I'm just more spontaneous in the way that I approach any interview. And quite often I'll think, oh, my God, what have I said? But I just roll with it. And they're all, you know, I look back on them and I don't think there were any major foo-pars, um, co-pars. I think I just um, just got caught up in their excitement. Yeah. And, and it's really funny because you might be beside a superstar horse and, you know, they pull up. And, you know, they're having to flow just like any other horse that's pulled up. And they don't necessarily realise what they've just done, but it's it's still just extraordinary. And to be part of it was really, really special. And I look back on those 10 years with really great memories.
0: I think the one that stands out for me also, and it wasn't so much the big superstar name in terms of uh, horse, but for me it was The Offer. Remember when The Offer won the Sydney Cup with Tommy on board Mm-hmm. And you spoke to him after and the emotion from Tommy, obviously, um, Nathan had just passed, etc. Mm. Um, that's the one that always sticks out in my mind because you you're, you went on that, you know, you're on that roller coaster with him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were all just so devastated um, with Nathan's pass, passing and the courage that Tommy Berry showed and and, and put himself through to, to just carry on. Knowing that, you know, Nathan, that's obviously what Nathan would have wanted him to do. We all know that. But how easy it would have been just to say, listen, I need to take a few months out. And and he didn't. He he just, because, he you know, he just loves what he does so much. But Tommy was a treat to interview. He is a treat for anybody doing an interview. His enthusiasm is extraordinary. His love of what he's doing is amazing. And even though there was always that, that sunken feeling in your heart when when he when he won a big race because you you feel like half of him is still missing. He just carried himself with, you know, so much so much pride and almost as though he was doing it for Nathan as well. It it makes you almost want to cry actually. But um yeah, he would be one of my absolute favorites to interview. <laughs>
0: I've got to ask, uh, Bernie, you now work up there very closely with Michael Maxworthy, uh, Brisbane, and what's happening in that part of the world? I mean, uh, I grew up in Brisbane. It's exciting to see the developments there at, uh, at Eagle Farm and Doombin and that carnival going from strength to strength.
1: Our carnivals are great at the moment, and, you know, we've always been known for winter, but really summer carnival has just taken a whole other step now. Uh, with RQ and BRC bringing in those feature races towards the end of the year or just at the end of spring, really. Um, so it's just this massive sort of almost three-month build to Magic Millions, which has got, just got, as you know, bigger and bigger. So I would say our summer carnival is every bit as big as um, our winter carnival. Um, I love working with Maxi. He is the best work husband anybody could possibly have. Um, so it's always... Um, always a thrill when you love going to work and, and working with uh, the right people. So we're, I think, a match made in heaven, Maxie and I, at the track. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> um, and as far as Queensland, uh, I my racing's going well. I mean, obviously the farms had a few issues and I'm really not sure what will play out there, um, but eventually I'm sure it will be right. Um Covid way, wise, we're we're very fortunate here at the moment, but we know that that's only a sneeze away. Um, so, we, you know, we really feel for everybody down south that you know you guys that are in lockdown down there, and we're at the moment literally just sailing along. Well, that's how it feels, but as I say, we we're very very conscious that that could turn around at, at any moment. Yeah. So. Um, it's just extraordinary, isn't it, that racing kept go- has kept going through all of this? Um, it really is extraordinary. And uh, I guess you can put that down to a couple of things. Yeah, you might say racing people are antisocial. <laughs> <laughs> and that could be concluded because of the hours they work, but they also have the privilege of working outdoors with the animals. So we're not sort of, you know, in offices and in areas where it's easy to spread. So I think that's probably a, a major player of why racing has been able to keep going. It's been
0: extraordinary, hasn't it? It certainly has. Uh, Bernie, before we let you go, uh, we'll get a positive and, and, and um, a chat on uh, just what looking at the future. Mm-hmm. So um, 10 years' time, where will Bernadette Cooper be? 10
1: years' time, Bernadette will probably... Uh, I think I'll be living in Italy by then.
0: Living in Italy. Jeez.
1: <laughs> well, you are not going to want me on the TV forever. I mean, if you knew the morning I've had, like, I've just, uh, I've been, do you want to hear about my morning?
0: Yeah, why not? What what's, well, What have you done this morning? Well,
1: like, I've been terrorised by rodents for the last three weeks. Oh. And in the dishwasher.
0: Oh, what? Yeah, how, did, in- how did they get in the dishwasher?
1: So then I had this, well, I tried, well, because the cat brought it in because Brian Wakefield's stables are behind me and everyone, of course, he knows that, you know, with stables come mice or rats. Or and then I've got this cat that must bring it in and then let it, let it go. And then so it died. I poisoned it. <laughs> and then, I had a real blonde moment. Thought, I'll kill this, whatever it is. And I killed it and it died in the dishwasher. So I spent all morning de plumbing a dishwasher and getting it out. So I'm a bit over, you know, the household running running the household. So I'm thinking retirement would be pretty nice. <laughs> how, pretty did, nice. how did it get it, how did it get in the dishwasher? Yeah, that's so not in where you clean the dishes. It can't get into there, but it can get oh, right. it can get underneath where the motor is.
0: Right. Yeah, I, I, was, like, yes,
1: I, I, did set, I did set traps. <laughs> I did do all that, and I couldn't trap it, so I fed it bait, and it died in there. So I had a complete blonde moment. And um, yeah, don't if you've got a mouse in the house, don't poison it. You've got to catch it. <laughs> got to catch it.
0: I've, I've, I must admit, from all that country travels I did uh, across countries, that plague that was that's still going on out there is just terrible. Um, just terrible. Um, I'll end on this note. Uh, in terms of racing, you've been around the game a long time. Um, you've seen the best of the sport, and you've also seen some bad stuff in the sport. In terms of, you know, that um, what you were saying about uh, with the, the the female riding and the opportunities, etc. What do you think are the biggest challenges facing racing?
1: Um, I actually think racing is fairly solid, and. You know, even though we do have to curb our ways and we do have to modernise and we do have to roll with the flow, I think, you know, welfare issues are always front and centre, horse welfare issues, and that's a good thing because that keeps people up to the mark. That keeps, you know, people aware that we're only here because of the horse to start with. So, you know, I love, I love all the off-the-track stuff. I love that, you know, more is being done to stop uh, race, uh, retired racers ending up where we all know they shouldn't end up, which is pretty hard. So I think if racing continues to focus on that, but, you know, and you know, as far as whip rules, you know, if one day we don't pull the stick, we just carry the stick and slap them down the shoulder, I think racing will be fine. Um, yes, it might not be ideal for all racing participants, but at the end of the day, if everybody's in the same boat, uh, everyone's in the same boat and we just have to get on with it. But I actually think racing is incredibly resilient and I don't see any reason why racing wouldn't be here in another 100 years, to be honest, providing we just you know keep up to date with welfare exactly. and, and those sorts of issues, yeah.
0: Bernie, thank you so much for coming on, mate. Um, I know you've been busy this morning with the rodents.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs>
0: But thank you very much for coming on. That's wonderful, chatter. I so said we hear your voice all the time on the Whip Around and here on Sky Sports Radio, and we see you as well on Sky Thoroughbred Central. It's nice just to hear a little bit of uh, about the story behind the name. My pleasure. Thanks,
1: Dave.